Today's scripture reading is Psalm 23, a Psalm of David. I'm sure everyone here knows it. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is the word of the Lord. I'm tempted to uh, have Bart record that for me, that psalm, so I can play it every night. I just love his voice. <laughs> anyway, uh, good morning, everyone. My name is uh, Ray Garcia. For those of you who don't know me, um, I get the pleasure and the honor of finishing out our time in the book of Philippians. Uh, we've been in this book, believe it or not, since last February, and it's only four chapters long, so it's been, uh, it's been quite a journey. Um, our study has primarily focused on the joy-filled life, and in keeping with this theme, the Apostle Paul does not disappoint as he winds up his letter to the church in Philippi. It almost seems like he, uh, he left a lot of the best stuff for last, and I'm grateful for that. Um, little caveat, little warning. I want to warn you in advance. Um, God is going to put some of you on the rack today. You know what the rack is, what they used to do in the olden days when they wanted to torture you. Hopefully it won't be torture. Uh, through this message, you're going to be put on the rack. He's going to stretch you, hopefully, maybe even a little bit to the point of uh, discomfort. Uh, some, some of you might get a little hot, hot under the collar, um, and that's okay, right? That's a good thing. Don't tune out. Instead, I encourage you to press in. Uh, don't just allow, but invite the Holy Spirit to stretch you and grow you. It might be a little painful. You know what they say, as Arnold would say, no pain, no gain, right? Okay, I've entitled today's message... The secret of true contentment. Let me see if I can move this a little bit. I'm not used to having this thing here. Okay. All right. So we're gonna uh, we're gonna be jumping right into the text and go through the remaining verses of of ten through twenty three of chapter four. Okay. So hopefully you're you're there or getting there. But before we go any further, let's just bow our heads and pray. Lord, we, we desperately need you. We want to hear from you, not from me. We want to hear from you. We desire transformation. We want to be changed by your words. Clear our minds, Lord. 
Help us to hear, not just to hear, but to respond to what you would have for us today. Pierce our hearts with your truths, and may those truths draw us even closer in our knowledge of and affections for you, Lord. I pray that we would leave here more like you than when we arrived. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So Pastor Greg left off at verse 9 last week. And so we pick up at verse 10. Hopefully you're there. I'll give you another second. Okay. So verse 10. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have, you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Here we find, just in his first verse, we find Paul rejoicing and praising the Lord for the Philippians' concern about him. As Paul concludes this letter, he returns to the theme of rejoicing despite difficulty. Paul rejoiced in the Philippians' renewed interest in helping him financially. Paul rejoiced when he saw the believers' personal interest in him. The phrase concern for me literally means the act of thinking in behalf of me. He was in their thoughts constantly. Their care for Paul was revived. Paul knew that the Philippians had wanted to give financially to him before this time, but simply had lacked the opportunity to do so. So the trip of Epaphroditus to Rome gave them that chance to do it. Now this is explained, hang in there, this is going to be explained and made clear further down in the letter, starting in verse 18, and we're going to get to that shortly. Now whatever the reason there was for that lack of opportunity, and the scripture does not elaborate on it at all, Paul rejoiced not only at the gift of at the gift and God's wondrous provision for his needs, but for the church who cared so much about him and had not forgotten about him. Now, as, you, as you'll notice as we go through the scripture, Paul didn't, he actually didn't rejoice over the amount of the gift, nor did he even ask for the gift. Although from the sounds of it, uh, I think it was a generous financial gift delivered to Paul in Rome by Epaphroditus from Philippi. Paul rejoiced more in their thoughtfulness than in the actual money. He was more grateful for the givers than for the gifts. Taking a cue from this first verse, I'd like to fast forward to here and now. I want to pause for a moment and rejoice and thank God for those who have partnered with him in providing for the needs of this body, Vero Bible Fellowship. Folks, I'm sure you figure it out by now. This is a very caring church. It's a body that not only rejoices with those who rejoice, but mourns with those who mourn. You rally around our sick, spending time with them, praying with them, reading scripture to them, bringing meals and running errands for them. 
this church fleshes out the powerful ministry of presence. There's something so special about simply loving on folks and being with them during their time of need. We never want to miss the opportunity to thank you for the impact, and you are making an impact, through your sacrificial giving of your time and your finances. This body, Vero Bible Fellowship, has time and time again met the daily ministry and operational needs of VBF. And you have generously supported our mission partners. You're making a difference, not just here in Florida, but globally. And you have even met and have exceeded specific individual needs in our body that have arisen. I want to thank you so, so much for your generous, caring hearts. And echoing Paul, uh, I rejoice greatly in the Lord because of you. Amen. So let's focus in and um, let's press in and focus on the next few verses. Very, very powerful. Um, I think they might be life-altering for some of you, so pay pay close attention. So let's look at uh, verse 11. Paul goes on to say in verse 11, not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of, play, of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. This is pretty amazing. Paul is, is expressing that he was never really in need because he had learned how to be content with whatever he had. Paul knew. He knew how to live on almost nothing or with everything. He had learned the secret of living in every single situation, whether, whether it was with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little. Look at verse 13 again. Paul revealed the source. He says, I can do all things through him, that is Jesus Christ, who strengthens me. Through, t- through trial and testing, Paul was initiated into the wonderful secret of contentment in spite of poverty or prosperity. It was the power of Christ within him that gave him spiritual contentment. Now look at this. Verse 13 can be divided into two halves. Watch this. The first half is, I can do everything. Now to stop there and pull the words out of context would simply imply the idea of self-reliance. Kind of a cocky self-assuredness. That's the message that we often hear from motivational speakers. You're going to say, you can do anything you want if you put your mind to it. That's what you hear by mo- most motivational speakers. But that's not, that's not what this verse says. Look at the last half. The last half reveals the source of our strength and contentment. Christ. Now God wants us. He wants us to accomplish much for him in the world. But only through Christ. Instead of trusting our own strength and abilities, we must rely on Christ and his power. That's who Paul relied on. 
That was the secret to his contentment. Paul had learned to be content whatever the circumstances. In other words, Paul's state of contentment did not depend on outward circumstances. Now, hear this, folks. Like Paul, this is a challenge. Like Paul, we should learn to always be content. Not to sometimes be content, but always in all circumstances. If we have plenty, let's humbly accept it with a clear conscience, giving thanks to God, amen? Have an attitude of gratitude, as they say. Don't ever forget that all good things come from above. But if we have little, let's not complain against God. Rather, let's fully accept his will in all things. Be grateful. Be grateful for what you have. You know, contentment involves one's perspective on life. To have real contentment, true contentment, remember, you have to remember that everything belongs to God. And what we have is a gift from God. And you might be thinking, God, God didn't give me all this. I worked hard for everything I have. But remember, you got to remember that it's God who gives you life. It's God who gives you the strength, the aptitude, and health to be able to work. He gave you the job that you have or had if you're retired. Again, we should be thankful for what we have, not coveting what others have. Ask for wisdom to use wisely what you do have. Pray for grace to let go of that desire for what you don't have. Trust in God to meet your needs. Now, you might be thinking, hmm, uh, I don't have a problem being content when I have plenty. Uh, when I'm living a life of abundance, I don't think so. I, I really don't understand what Paul is talking about. I surely don't need to learn how to live with plenty. Hey, most of us, most of us have learned how to be humbled because when difficulties come, we immediately, we run right to the Lord, right? But few of us have learned how to abound or live with abundance as Paul described. Listen, folks, and this is a sad truth. Prosperity has done more damage to believers in adversity. Many times the prosperity and abundance that God lavishes upon us becomes a stumbling block to our spiritual lives by our choice. The very gifts from God replace God. We'll spend more time enjoying and in a way worshiping the gifts that he gives us. Worshiping and, give, and, and spending more time focusing on these gifts than on him, the giver of the gifts. It's strangely sad how we replace God with material things and leisure activities. Look at verse 11. The key sentiment in verse 11 is contentment. So let me ask you, 
Does the word contentment reflect your heart? Do you have a spirit of contentment? Be honest with yourself. Do you have a spirit of contentment? If you're not sure, you can ask your spouse or ask someone who knows you very well. Have you, like Paul, discovered the secret to contentment found only in Christ Jesus? Worldly men, that is those who love the world more than they love God, are always seeking earthly comforts and pleasures. Theirs is a world not of content but of discontent. 1 John 2.15 says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. Listen to this. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Wow. If that doesn't jar you, I don't know it will. It's pretty convicting. Before I go any further... Write down the name of this person. Write down, if you have a pen and paper handy. If not, you can always go back and list, you know, get the message and download it. Vody Bauckham. That's the common spelling. Vody Bauckham. Just kidding. You're not going to know. It's V-O-D-I-E-B-A-U-C-H-A-M. Vody Bauckham. Go to YouTube, YouTube, type in his name, then the words, do not love the world. This, this is an incredibly powerful message. I encourage you to listen to it. It's one of the most challenging messages I've ever heard on 1 John 2.15. By the way, uh, wait until after this message before going on YouTube. Okay, so moving along. Um, as believers in Christ, um, we should seek only our earthly necessities. Just the necessities. As far as our physical lives are concerned, it's okay. We, we, we should make a habit of asking God for those things which are necessary for our well-being. On the other hand, as far as our spiritual lives are concerned, there's no limit. No limit to what we can ask for from God. God is ready to give us spiritual gifts and spiritual blessings in abundance the false prosperity gospel emphasizes asking and even expecting God to make you rich and healthy. As if that's God's purpose and reason for existing. What a hideous, horrible perversion of God's word and the true gospel. Well, let me ask you, I told you this was going to get a little uncomfortable. Which do you seek primarily? Which do you seek primarily? Are you mostly, mostly seeking after earthly abundance or spiritual abundance? Here's a little test. Just take stock. Take stock of how you spend your time. Examine your checkbook and how you spend your money. All of this can be very revealing. And as some of you may be kind of figuratively slinking down in your seat right now, I can almost hear that sound. Look, I'm not trying to guilt or shame anybody here. Um, godly introspection is good from time to time. It keeps things real, right? A little conviction can be good for the soul, amen? All right. Let me ask you, what, what is it 
What is it that we really, really need? Is it money? Material things? None of these things satisfy. 1 Timothy 6.10 says, For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. It says, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. When that root grows, it produces all kinds of evil fruit. But notice that Paul says it's the love of money, not money itself, that leads to evil. This is probably one of the most misquoted verses in the Bible. People say, money is the root of all evil. That's wrong. That's not what this is saying. God does not demonize. I want to make sure that we understand. God is not demonizing wealth or money in Scripture. There are many examples throughout the Bible of godly kings and rulers in the Bible that worship God, not their riches. It's not about owning wealth. It's about whether that wealth owns you, right? The reality, folks, is that a person who loves money and material things will make compromises. Yes, even professing followers of Christ. No, say it isn't so. That's for the world. No. Even followers. Judas Iscariot, one of Jesus' original 12 disciples, betrayed his Lord, his master, his friend. And for what? A few pieces of silver. The love of money and material things can lead you to do things that can ruin your reputation in the community, even among your own brothers and sisters in Christ. More importantly than that, you can wind up bringing reproach to the name of Christ. You do things, you find yourself doing things that are unethical, immoral, and even illegal to gain more money or some material thing. When it comes to money, people will justify their actions, even if those actions are not of Christ and do not honor or glorify the Lord. Some will justify cutting corners in their hiring practices in order to circumvent paying taxes. Compromise here, a concession there, always looking for ways to gain some financial advantage. Those who love money will wander from the faith. Or money may even impede the entry into the kingdom of heaven for those who choose riches over God himself. Jesus made reference to that in many scriptures. One is Mark 10, 23 through 25. In fact, listen to this. God goes as far as to say, it's not even possible to love both God and riches at the same time. He says you're going to love one and hate the other. Friends, no matter how wealthy a person gets, he will never ever be satisfied. One can never find true peace or joy or contentment through riches. 
John D. Rockefeller, the founder of the Standard Oil Company, the first billionaire of the United States of America, and once the richest man on earth, was asked by a reporter, how much money is enough? And he calmly replied, just a little bit more. Riches can lead to anxiety. The person with riches may constantly be worried about losing them. His riches will be a curse, will become a curse, not a blessing. He will be pierced with many griefs. Hebrews 13.5, here it is again. Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And be content with what you have. Did you guys catch that? King David is a vivid example of someone who was not content with what he had. He was a man that was surrounded by more than he could ever need or use. And yet he still found himself wanting what somebody, what someone else had. In this case, it was someone else's wife. And this attitude led him to sin gravely against God. He sinned gravely against God. And there would be serious consequences to his greed. Are you, let me ask you, are you content in Christ and what he has given you? Or do you, you're always looking for opportunities like the words of Rockefeller to get just a little bit more. Let's move on. Picking up at verse 14. Yet it was kind of you, yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving, except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. Now look at verse 19. We're going to camp out here. 19 and 20. Watch this. This is awesome. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. This is worth repeating. And my God, God, will supply every need of yours according to his riches in Christ Jesus. Paul did not see this gift as simply coming from Philippi, right? He saw it as a, as a supply of his need from heaven, from God himself. Paul's trust was in the Lord. There's an interesting contrast. Look at verse 18 and 19. There's a kind of an interesting contrast between the two verses. 
we, we might state it this way. If, if we were to paraphrase Paul, you could say, you met my need and God is going to meet your need. You met one need that I had, but my God will meet all of your needs. You gave out of your poverty, but God will supply your needs out of his riches and glory. Folks, we, even as believers, we cannot begin to comprehend God's riches and glory. His riches are limitless, infinite. And it's from that storehouse that believers' needs are met. Believers can rest assured that God can meet every need, no matter how large, desperate, or hopeless it may seem. Let's talk about needs. Let's talk about needs for a minute. As humans, we all have needs, right? We need food. We need shelter, protection, clothes, jobs, yes, money, rest. We need peace and a whole list of other things that we need. And at some point, Most of us have struggled between trusting God to provide and burning ourselves out, trying to make it happen ourselves, right? We've all been there. But scripture is clear. You don't have to carry that burden all on your shoulders for your needs. God is known as Jehovah Jireh, the Lord who provides. Jehovah Jireh, he is your Lord and provider. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Philippians 4.19, it serves as a personal promise. You can hold on to this when life's journey brings challenges and you find yourself in a place you don't understand seemingly without any provision. This is something we can personally cling to. Jehovah Jireh, the Lord, your provider, he gives you what you need. Now listen, it may not be, it may not arrive when you think you need it, but whatever you have need of, God always gives in his perfect time and according to his will, right? By the way, the Lord promises to fulfill all your needs, not all your greeds. Can I get an amen? Man, that got awful quiet. (laughs) All right. Look, as we just mentioned, not not all of our needs are financial. Don't get get stuck in that kind of thinking, like needs, money, I need money and provision now. In fact, most of our needs are not of the financial kind at all, right? Let's look at Psalm 23. You're probably wondering, why, why, did, why did we have Psalm 23 read? So let's look at that verse that Bart so beautifully read for us earlier. Let's, let's, let's reexamine Psalm 23 today and make note of all the needs we have that the Lord graciously and lovingly meets 
recall through this passage how the Lord provides for you in every single area of your, of your life. Now, Psalm 23, let's face it, it's one of those beloved passages that we have heard over and over and over again through the years. What happens is sometimes the familiarity of a passage of Scripture can make it lose its meaning or lose its impact. Let's look at this beautiful passage with fresh eyes today. Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. In other words, the Lord is my shepherd. In him, I personally, in him, I personally have all that I need. You personally have all that you need. When you have the Lord, you want for nothing. Because in him you have what? Everything. Do you get that? Do we get that? Do we really get that? Do you believe that? Look at these next few verses with your, with your mind's eye, right? Try to envision this beautiful imagery. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Folks, when you are weary, and I know that there's a lot of you here today, right now, you're just weary. When you're weary, when you're in need of rest, when you're battle fatigued from life's problems, which by the way, I'm, de I'm describing myself right now. This is how I'm feeling right now. When you're battle fatigued from life's problems, the Lord is there to refresh you, to comfort you, to give you peace, and to restore you. He's a soothing balm for your very soul. Look at this. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. We all need guidance, right? We all need direction in life. When we allow God, our good shepherd, to lead us and guide us, we have contentment. He leads and guides us through his word, through prayer, and through the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Another blessing and provision from the Lord is protection. When we find ourselves in a valley of deep darkness or shadow of death, we don't need to fear, right? Why? Because the Lord is with us and he protects us. The rod and the staff are the shepherd's equipment to protect the sheep. We can be comforted and given courage even by the Lord's presence and his protection. Listen, folks, we as believers are never in situations that the Lord is not aware of. 
for he never leaves us or forsakes his people. Look at verse 5. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. In this verse, the scene kind of changes now to a banquet hall where a gracious host provides lavish hospitality. Under this imagery, the psalmist rejoiced in the Lord's provision. What was comforting to David was that this was in the presence of his very enemies. Despite impending danger, the Lord spread out a table for him. That is, God provided for him. God does the same for you, and he does the same for me. The image of anointing the head with oil, which was refreshing and soothing, paints this incredible picture of a gracious host welcoming someone into his home. God welcomes you, my dear brothers and sisters. Know here, know here in your mind, but also here in your heart how much God loves you and treasures you and welcomes you. Find contentment and joy in that. Verse 6, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The psalmist is giving us insight into one of the most incredible things that God provides to those who are his. Goodness and mercy are the assurance for the faithful that God has showered his grace upon them. God provides us with the ability to dwell in the house of the Lord. He gives us ready access to his sanctuary for worship. We get, to we get to enjoy our Lord all the days of our life, for days without end, forevermore. We got one amen over here. <laughs> Think about that. This, just this one psalm, this one psalm clearly reveals God's heart for us. His loving care and provision for us in a deeply profound and intimate way. Look, as we look back on this psalm, let's recap. We see a God who provides everything we could possibly need. Sustenance and refreshment. Restoration and righteousness. Protection and comfort. Honor and blessing. Goodness and love. And at the end, a heavenly home. Pretty awesome. Considering all this, perhaps we could rephrase verse 1 to read, the Lord is my shepherd. What more could I want? I encourage you to meditate on this psalm regularly. Now Paul closed this, his letter by sending greetings from Rome and the Christians there to the believers in Philippi. The gospel had spread to all strata of society, linking people 
that they, they had no other bond other than in Christ. So look at verse 21. It says, greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. Interesting. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Look, another interesting point. This letter begins and ends with grace. Philippians 1, 2, going way back when we started, it says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul, throughout his entire ministry, had experienced God's undeserved favor, and he never tired of praying that others would also experience that grace. What a great thing for us to pray over others. I want to end with this. You can take today's message to heart and trust God, really trust God to provide all you need. Folks, each time you think about the problem that you're facing this week, remember God's promise to you. Say a confident declaration aloud. Jehovah Jireh, the Lord my provider, will provide everything I need. Folks, leave here knowing, leave here knowing that God alone is the source of a joy-filled life. Celebrate every day the secret revealed that true, true contentment and lasting peace can be found only in a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. There will be prayer partners up here up front after the service um, if you would like them to pray with you about that about surrendering your life to Christ in faith for what he has done, for who he is and what he has done on the cross and how you can enter into a personal relationship with him. I want to just, just one quick reminder for uh, Preacher Ken's services. This Wednesday, we hope, hope that all of you can make it. Make a concerted effort to be there, even if you didn't know him or didn't know him that well. This is one of the ways that we love on people when we care about the things that they love and we grieve with those who are grieving. But that's this Wednesday at the plaza right next to Strunk Funeral Hall. Two o'clock is the um, visit, not visit, I guess a visitation. Yeah, yeah, visitation or viewing. And then three o'clock is the actual service. Anyway, let's pray. Lord, your word says, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Help us, God, 
Help us to live. We, we went through this whole series about the joy-filled life, but we need your help. It's not something that we, it, it shouldn't be contrived. It shouldn't be something that we just muster it up. We need you. We need your guidance. Lead us by the Holy Spirit to put into practice all the things that we've learned and received from you through this incredible and wonderful study in the book of Philippians. Lord, may the the joy of the Lord truly be our strength. My prayer, Lord God, is that when people approach us, when people come to us, they will see the joy of the Lord in our entire countenance. They'll see it on our faces. We will radiate the joy of the Lord and people will be attracted not to us, but that they would be attracted to you because of the joy that we have in you. And Lord, may your peace be with us always. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Prayer partners.